0: Greetings to my listeners all around the world. Welcome to Safe Dividend Investing's podcast number 117 on May 25th of 2023. My name is Ian Duncan MacDonald. In today's podcast, I will be answering three interesting questions. But before I begin, I would like to remind listeners that the purpose of my podcasts and my books is to show those with patience and common sense that they are capable of successfully managing their own investment portfolios. They just need to be shown how easy it can be. Achieving a lifetime financial independence as a self-directed investor is possible and my objective is to show you how. Question number one, why invest in 20 shares? Why not two or 200? For safe investing, diversification is a requirement. Why? Because no matter how smart, you think you are, neither you nor anyone else can accurately predict future share prices. The collapse of the stock market in 2008 and 2020 were unpredictable. Who could have predicted the impact of COVID-19 on all the stocks in the stock market? Large, long-established corporations like the largest airlines in the United States Lost 75% of their share value. Some were trading for over $60 a share. American, United, and Delta Airlines have yet to gain enough strength to again resume dividend payments. When you spread your wealth equally among 20 of the safest, strongest stocks, you are minimizing the impact of anticipated downturns in the economy. your portfolio. You have limited your risk in any one stock. If one of your carefully chosen financially strong stocks should experience a -a once-in-a-lifetime chaotic event that causes it to fail, that one stock represents only 5% of your wealth. A catastrophic loss of one or two stocks would hardly impact the total strong portfolio's value. Also, since I only recommend investing in financially strong stocks who have paid high dividends for a decade or more, the chances in a market crash that your dividend income would be impacted are remote. In both the 2008 and 2020 crashes, my income remained steady In some cases, some companies even increase their dividend payouts. I have found that 95% of the dividends from strong companies continue to be paid during an economic downturn. In the last 100 years, the average recession has lasted about nine months. The average gap between recessions has been about 50 months there is always going to be another market crash. With a strong dividend portfolio, you just wait it out. Pocket your dividends and wait for share prices to recover, as they always have for over 100 years. With such a portfolio, share prices almost become of just passing interest. Since you have an income coming in, by your dividends, you have no reason to sell stocks at the worst possible time at their lowest share value to generate an income to live on. I think this also explains why you do not invest in just two stocks. Concentrating 50% of your wealth in each stock would be taking an unnecessary risk with your life savings. No matter How much you may love a stock, safe diversification requires you to limit your risk in any one stock to only 5% of your portfolio's value. If diversification is so important, why not invest in 200 stocks and reduce your risk down to half of 1%? First, it would be impossible to find 200-strong, high-dividend-paying stocks. From 200 stocks, you would receive a mediocre dividend income and low share price growth. You should be monitoring all the stocks in your portfolio every three or four months. Scoring and evaluating 20 stocks can take a few hours. Would you really be prepared to spend days evaluating 200 stocks? Strong stocks are not excitingly volatile, and reviews are boring, but necessary. The odds are that you would become discouraged and neglect the minimal management of your portfolio. You might find over time that your portfolio would creep up over 20, but your objective should be to bring it down as close to 20 as you can get it. Question number two. Why are operating margins important? Why is investing in dividend-paying companies better than investing in companies that do not pay dividends? Dividends are paid out of a company's operating margin. The operating margin is what remains of profits after the accountants subtract all the expenses to generate the sales for a company. Decisions as to what to do with the money and the operating margin is made by the executives in the company. Out of 9,254 stocks available on US and Canadian stock markets, there are only 3,479 that have an operating margin of 1% or more and are paying a dividend of 1% or more. In searching for the strong dividend stocks to add to your portfolio we bring the 3,479 down to a manageable number from which We select the 20 best for our portfolio. Most companies on the stock market do not pay dividends. Some companies that do not pay dividends are unprofitable. However, it is almost certain that companies that do pay dividends are profitable. To increase the chances of share price growth and reliable Income, investors choose dividend-paying stocks. Executives who work for these profitable corporations are obsessed with increasing their sales and their profits over the previous year. I was once one of these executives. I was constantly searching for new ways to increase my operations revenues and to cut its expenses. Whether the company's share prices were up or down was a passing interest. To encourage executives of companies to consider share prices, the share owners provide stock option bonuses to the executives. What is a stock option? At the beginning of each year, executives are told by the corporation's board of directors That they will be allowed to purchase several thousand shares of the company's stock at its current price in one year's time. If the company's share price declines in that year, this option will be worthless. However, if the share price climbs, they could receive thousands, even hundreds of thousands of dollars between what they pay for the stock at the end of the year and when they immediately sell it. The result of this incentive is that during the year, these executives will be focused on minimizing every expense and doing whatever they can to increase sales. In theory, if the profit and sales targets are not met, the company's directors believe that the company's share price will drop. All shareholders will then suffer reduced value of their shares. Unfortunately, the executives can only influence share prices. It is the optimistic speculators placing buy bids against the pessimistic speculators placing sell bids on that great auction vehicle called the stock market, which determines share prices. Whether the company is profitable or not, and whether it pays dividends or not, is no guarantee that share prices will rise. However, it is interesting to see how so many financially strong profitable companies keep increasing their dividend payouts in tandem with their ever increasing share prices. It is also interesting to see that the dividend payout percentages are often increasing at a much higher percentage than the share price. This can keep your dividend income well ahead of inflation. Historical records of share prices and dividend payouts are easily accessible on the internet they should always be checked before purchasing a stock. A company that has ever-increasing dividend payouts for 10 or 20 years is not only profitable and well-run, but executives are creatures of habit who make a conscious decision to keep the dividend payout increasing. Question number three why is self-directed investing better why is being a self-directed investor critical to achieving maximum safe income from your portfolio why not just delegate your portfolio selection and management to an investment advisor who for what you think is a small fee Will apply his years of experience and expertise to growing your wealth. Eventually, you will learn that investment advisors are not your friends. They are employees of an investment institution, usually a bank. Their job is to generate as much income for that institution As they come from the money you have to invest. The source of their income is your life savings that you've spent decades patiently accumulating. Their objective is for you to give them total control of all your investment money. They want to do with it as they please without your input or your interference. Advisors do not have a mandate to find the least expensive, most cost effective investments for you. Nor, with more than a hundred clients, do they have the time nor the inclination to show you how you can better manage your money. If you ever have the desire to feel stupid and ignorant, Ask an investment advisor to explain why they are recommending a specific investment, which just might happen to pay them a higher commission than similar investment paying a lower commission. Not that you would be aware of this. Be prepared for a jargon-filled explanation meant to make you feel ignorant and reveal nothing. To keep their jobs, they have minimum sales objectives. It is far easier to reach their objective if you accept and do not question their recommendations. Most of their clients really have no idea why or what they are invested in. This suits the advisor just fine. To make their job easier, the typical investment advisor will want to sell you a mutual fund if you give them one hundred thousand dollars to invest, they will probably receive an immediate commission of five thousand dollars for their skill in getting you to sign a mutual fund contract. They will not call it a contract, but it is a contract. In this contract, you give the fund manager the right to buy or sell whatever investments are in the fund. You can end up paying taxes on capital gains you are completely oblivious to until you file your income tax return. Not only is your advisor receiving a chunk of your investment, but the fund managers are also dipping their beak. This does not happen just once, but every year that you own that fund, in most jurisdictions, you do not even see how much the fund manager is taking from your investment and the thousands of other investors in that fund. Letting investors clearly understand how much was being siphoned off would interfere in closing mutual fund sales. The various security exchanges that are meant to protect you allow them to keep this hidden. If you have any doubts as to the contractual status of owning a mutual fund, tell your advisor a few months after you purchased the fund that you made a mistake and now wish to liquidate it. You will quickly learn that you agreed to pay a discouragingly high penalty for earlier redemption. By now, your investment advisor has received their commissions for selling it to you. They are not about to take a loss on the transaction. For providing their questionable advisory services on an ongoing basis, you can expect to lose between 2 and 4 percent of your portfolio's value every year, whether your portfolio makes or loses money. On a million-dollar portfolio over 10 years, this would be $200,000, and one year it would be $20,000. This is money that you could have been earning significantly more additional income. A gain in the average portfolio of 5% a year is considered to be a reasonable minimum expectation by many investment advisors. However, after management fees of 2 to 4%, an average annual inflation rate of 3.4%, you would be lucky to avoid a loss every year. With total control of your portfolio as a self-directed investor, the odds of your portfolio showing income and significant growth can be greatly improved. You do not need an advisor to choose and buy stocks, you just need to be shown how to do it. This is what my books and podcasts are all about. Acquiring stocks in 20 companies as a self-directed investor will incur acquisition fees of less than $10 for each company's shares whether you are buying 100 or thousands of their shares. Since you'll only be buying financially strong, high-paying dividend stocks that you intend to hold forever, the total cost to build a portfolio of the best 20 stocks would be a one-time processing fee of less than $200, plus, of course, their share prices. This is 1% of what an advisor would likely charge you in the first year, and one thousandth of what it would cost you over 10 years. So when an investment advisor says to you that his fee for managing your portfolio is so small that you will not even notice it, recognize that this is part of a sales pitch. What would happen if you suggested to an advisor that you do not want to buy a mutual fund, but you want to take your and spread it evenly among the 20 strongest stocks paying the highest, safest dividends. Unlike a mutual fund, this would require some research work on the advisor's part, especially if you tell them that you want to go over the recommended 20 stocks before you negotiate their fee. Some investment advisors would not have a clue how to build such a portfolio. Most will tell you they do not work this way and walk away. If you can find an advisor who would agree to this, it then becomes interesting to see how they would be paid for doing it. I would sure like to know if you find such an advisor. Being an advisor is a stressful job. You must create an illusion that you are providing an essential service to not just one investor, but 100 or more. Yet, the advisors know they are on shaky ground because they have no control over share prices. They face having to convince clients when stock markets invariably crash that a crash is a temporary acceptable event. If the advisor does not get too greedy they can often get away with nibbling on all their clients' wealth for years. A remarkably high income can be realized by them. They get away with it because people loathe making big, destructive changes and venture where they have never gone before. However, if the blinders are ever removed from the investor's eyes and they see that they can successfully manage their own investments, they see the reality they have been played by a parasitic investment industry. Thanks for listening. If you wish more information on investing and stock scoring, please visit my website www.saferbetterdividendinvesting.com Better